everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we try and take some science, squish it into an hour-long show, hopefully making it less confusing than it was at the beginning. This week we turn our attention to scientific integrity. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, and of course, whichever directory you're listening to this on right now, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is, if you can give us a like, rating, share, comment, subscribe, follow, whatever is at your disposal, we would appreciate it massively. I'm Tom Jenks, joined as per usual by Mitchell Gatting. How are you, mate? I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, not too shabby. Not too shabby. On this scientific Thursday. Yeah, it is. Very sciencey today, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Weather in Scotland, you know, considering it's summer, not great. A lot of rain? A lot of rain where you are? A bit of rain, yeah. Uh, I'd say it's on and off. It's one of those weeks where you just don't go anywhere without a coat. Yeah, that is exactly the same down here. I think the two ends of the country have actually got quite para- quite like, good parallels in uh, yeah. the weather. Um, like, I went out for a walk, uh, yeah, shorts and t-shirts, and an umbrella, and, and I needed all three because it was way too hot, and then it started raining, and I was like... That's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, like... that brings us on to some pretty depressing news that this was the, the hottest week on hottest. record ever. Yeah. 10 days in a row, wasn't it? It was mad. I mean, Spain hit 60 degrees. Yeah. Can you, what can you start cooking at 60? Oh, the soles of your feet? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because then the temperature on like Ashford is actually higher than... Because that's air temperature, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the asphalt temperature will be be a lot higher. So you can cook a beefsteak. Uh, recommended internal temperature sixty. Um, yeah, in the yeah. air, just if you just leave it out. There's the whole thing on low temperature cooking. What you can do. Um, I guess it would just be the slowest slow cook of all time. Ham. You can fully low cook ham slow. at sixty. Yeah. Uh, beef, pork, veal, and lamb have to have an internal uh, temperature of sixty-three, but with ham, fully cooked, sixty. The, yeah, but that's like internal, isn't it? Which means the outside has had a lot more going on. Uh, if you left it out there long enough, but uh... <laughs> okay. Well, if you want to start that experiment, that's not. Just, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'll just hop on over to Spain. Just leave a ham out for a week. Yep. See what happens poison poison myself (laughs) (laughs) fair all right well don't do that then um i've i've got some uh some some news of the week and we haven't talked about the james webb space telescope in a while oh yeah which is one of our our favorite things they've got new photos to celebrate the uh first anniversary year anniversary of the like so the james webb space telescope launched i think last march ish and it was turned on a year ago on the 12th. And that's mm-hmm. when like the first picture was released. And ever since then, it's been, it's been contributing to science. And it released uh, a new picture of the Ro Ophiuchi. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ophi- the Ro Ophiuchi cloud complex, which is about 390 light years away. And oh my Lord, it's stunning. It just looks incredible. Uh, yeah immediately went to be my phone background as uh 
this time last year I did the same thing and made the new pictures my phone background back then. Yeah. Um, just, just awesome. And I, I wanted to highlight a couple of things that the James Webb Space Telescope has done in the last year. Um, so what one of the main things it's done is really help with exoplanet research. So we discovered exoplanets in the 90s. And what I mean by discovered is we detected them for the first time. I don't think it's a wild guess to suggest other planets exist outside of our solar system. Um, and despite knowing about way over 3,000 of them now, uh, it's very rare that we can directly take pictures of them. Um, but the Webb, James Webb Space Telescope managed to do exactly that in September, capturing a picture of HIP 65426B. Mm. Just a stunning name for a stunning planet. Um, and on top of that, it's allowed us to look at exoplanet atmospheric detail as well by analysing the light that gets shone through through the atmosphere. Um, and it is also after a 10 day long exposure, taking pictures of galaxies whose red shift indicates that they range from about 320 to 350 million years after the Big Bang, making them the oldest galaxies we've ever discovered. And that has really changed our perception of galaxy formation um, and how quickly things happened after the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, really challenged our understanding. And I just can't wait to see what else comes from it. And the, it's done a lot more than that, and I'm sure other people would argue more interesting things. Uh, but I guess that depends on your perspective of uh, interesting. So, yeah, it's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, some people are more interested in like black hole stuff. Some people more exoplanet stuff. Some people more galaxy-related yeah. stuff, right? So, um, maybe at some point we'll 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 do a. A celebration of the of the telescope and just go through stuff in a bit more detail but i thought it was worth a shout out uh either way yeah because i remember being pretty hyped for that and, f and following the lead up to that actually quite a bit you know in our episodes and uh, but yeah go check out the pictures they're beautiful get it in your eye holes and uh Stunning. just realize you live in the same universe as that it's pretty cool yeah you exist not at the same exists. time though, because that gets a bit wibbly wobbly. Because it's all oh, a bit wibbly wobbly time. It's all, it's all a matter of perspective, that isn't it? Yeah, and where you're yeah, standing. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. in relation as well. In relation to each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Well, this week we are turning our attention to scientific integrity. Mm. Um, bit fluffy. It's just two <laughs> words stuck together. Yeah, sound definitely. I think a bit more impressive than they are. Um, how, have you got a definition for us? Uh, a, a loose one, yeah, as well as like a bunch of I guess, facts. Yeah. Oh, of course, quickly. facts. Yeah, yeah. First yeah. used uh, in, the, in the 1950s to describe the adherence of ethical principles in scientific research. Before then, scientific scientific integrity didn't exist. If you didn't know. Uh, absolute wild west when it came to science and we've got a section if we can get onto it later on some unethical experiments that we, that we can reel through and i'm not gonna lie some of them yeah most of them some of them started way before the 1950s so yeah pretty there wild. may be a, a reason and, and it's not yeah. like it didn't exist as a concept like ah uh, it, it was just a bit more of a faith-based system right we believe <laughs> these people will do what their best whereas that's when it was actually <laughs> coined as a, oh, we're going to make this a thing. Like, 
good academic practice or good yeah. research practice is Seriously. now like a code of laws or whatever um whereas before that it was just like oh yeah you should try your best yeah um what really brought this on uh is we were talking about the alzheimer's research that got found out to be complete and utter hogswash or whatever you want to call it politely yeah um I came across a similar story this past week as well. Oh yeah, was it? Is it? So the Alzheimer's. Okay, before we move on, say no explanation for the Alzheimer's thing was. Yeah. Um, was it, how long ago was it that they released this paper? And what was the oh, reason? I can't remember we, now. I can't remember what the, how long ago. But the reason what happened was somebody released a scientific paper in brackets in brackets uh, about Alzheimer's research that they did. And 2012 I think it was yeah have you, have you got it up uh, well I just uh, my google history is Alzheimer's scandal 2012 and yeah, uh, yeah in 2012 uh, the Alzheimer's research fraud case was set for trial so yeah, yeah. so it was to do with uh, scientific journals bleh um, um, it was two Harvard teaching hospitals if I can get all these adverts out of my way. And a prominent Alzheimer's disease researchers were accused of using falsified data to obtain a government research, research grant. Um, and they are, were set to stand trial in May 2012 after a federal appeals court said uh, that the lower court erred when it dismissed the case. Uh, the lawsuit accuses Marilyn Albert, a former professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital, where she was conducting research and submitting a grant application based on manipulated data. Um, okay. And th this goes on a lot. There yeah. was also the 2022 in July. Ashes. Oh, the blots on a field. Yes. Science The, the amyloid controversy. Yes, yes, so, yes. A summary of this. What it, it's a shame, 2021, really. Matthew Scrag. I wasn't. I was going to name him, give him that, give him that kind of power. I'm going to name him or power. Oh, fuck that guy. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the the issue being is one of the main theories to suggest what causes Alzheimer's disease is called the amyloid hypothesis. It highlights a protein called amyloid as the major contributor to what goes wrong inside the brain in this disease. Recently, there has been some allegations published in a research journal Science concerning one research study investigating how amyloid proteins build up in the brain of people living with Alzheimer's disease and forms plaques. These allegations criticize a US study from 20, 2000, 2006, so a long time ago, that focuses on a specific type of amyloid protein called A-beta-56 and its role in the causes of Alzheimer's disease. It's alleged that some results from the study were falsified and now the reliability of the study has come into question. Thus, ergo, every other research paper or hypothesis that has come post that that has used that in their would you call it like fact finding or background research or yeah what you, the basis of is also then coming into question because you know it's based on bad bad information yeah i mean like hopefully papers haven't used the same exact data and they've more just tried to like replicate the results and that so hopefully that not that many were, were impacted but yeah it certainly does 
completely undermine the entire hypothesis, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I came across a similar story over the past couple of weeks um, in my realm of <laughs> science. Um, and basically, a PhD student had been asked to go to a certain institution and work for this professor, and they found out and they were basically tasked with working with this really big data set that people have been using for over 20 years. Many people have like started their PhDs on that or built their careers working on this data set. And it like a lot of it was just falsified. Oh, that's sad. So a lot of people's like literal careers have been on using fake data. And you could be like, oh, should they have checked it? Maybe. But like this data set, you know, 20 years worth of data is a lot. And especially when you're like, oh, well, this person should be trustworthy, you know, why wouldn't they be? They're quite well known in the field. Mm. Uh, yeah. Not good. Sad times. So that's, what, that's what sparked this episode was uh, just the absolute corruption in the Alzheimer's field, apparently. Uh, no, it's just who has <laughs> scientific integrity and what is it? So, yeah, scientific integrity refers to the adherence to ethical and professional standards in the practice of scientific research and the communication of scientific findings. It encompasses a set of principles and values that guide scientists in conducting their work with honesty, objectivity, transparency, and accountability. Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, surmises it. And there's a whole bunch of, like, I think there's, like, obviously it breaks down into eight, nine different aspects, which I think is quite important to keep in mind because it's not just being like i'm gonna do good ergo i'm gonna do like i'm good therefore what i'm gonna do is gonna be good it breaks down into more nuances and niches than that so the first one yeah. being honesty and truthfulness which most people think they would do in their research but the scientists are expected to be truthful and transparent in their research process their methods data collection and analysis and they should accurately report their findings including both positive and negative results without fabrication falsification or selective reporting uh, i think this obviously we've, we've just talked about um falsification and fabrication in that data set but uh, i think selective reporting is something that's happened a bit more uh, recently, not with the papers themselves, but I, I, I find scientific uh, like news outlets, they seem to do that more. Like they'll take uh, a paper and then be like, oh, we need to make this super headliney and catchy. So we're going to skew it a little bit and yeah. selectively report on one aspect of X and then, you know. Nature can certainly be like that, thing. even as a, as a journal. I would argue as well sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, like they exclusively publish new stuff. Yes. Because they, they, they want to be the, the first. So even if what you're showing is a lot better, clearer, more impactful, even if they've just like had a paper on that, they're, they're just not going to do, do it again, do another one. Um, so it's a bit yeah, weird. Just... But along that vein, there's also things which people might think of as less cheaty but in the eyes of the science world are considered just as fabricatory and that's something called p-hacking have you, have you come across this term no but i guess is, is it to do with the the number of um people involved no uh so your so p that, that, that would be n n is normally oh, okay. sample yeah, yeah. size 
Uh, nice, yeah. ar- arbitrarily. Uh, P <laughs> is normally uh, the P value associated with a statistical test. So let's say I do a statistical test. I want to know oh, if what yeah. I'm looking at is significant uh, or not. And normally we use a value of 0.05 or lower. Basically tells you uh, if you did this test 100 times in 95% of the trials or times you did this experiment, um, mm-hmm. you would expect to see this result or not. So basically, is this happening by chance or not? Right. And we basically say if our value returns to be something less than 0.05, we're happy that this isn't chance. Um, and what you can end up doing is if you think there is a specific correlation you want to see and you don't see it in the test, maybe you pick another test and you just keep going until you find a p-value that is like a test that gives you the p-value you want or you just rephrase things slightly and then do you know what I mean? So some people end up, you can kind of fabricate results by picking the wrong stats uh, or picking the right stats and not getting what you expected and then just keep doing tests until you find one that proves you're right. And then subconsciously you're more like, oh, well, there we go. I knew it. And some people do that nefariously. Some people just do it accidentally or even, you know, not intentionally, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's like another way of, uh, I guess, fabrication, right? Um, that people don't generally think of. But in uni, it's drilled into you. No yeah. p-hacking. No p-hacking. Um, okay. Uh, the end thing will come on in a second because that's what's well, my gripe about scientific researchers and also new new. So going back to the, like the news on and it being like, uh, there've been some some ridiculous ones like fifty percent of uh, X people doing X have X happened to them, and then you look at their sample size and it's like. 10 people yeah. like great cool good job so you've just found 10 people and out of that 10 by statistical chance or analysis or whatever's going on they've all experienced this had the same experience which the sample size is ridiculously small and especially with like, things like magazines and things like like uh newspapers and, and articles and things like that if they're doing surveys oh my lord am i suspicious because yes. Inherently, the people who are going to reply to those surveys are, one, people who don't mind doing surveys, which are normally a certain type of people, Mm, um, or exclude certain personalities, and two, people who are probably invested in that specific, like, magazine or newspaper or journal, so are already also biased in that regard, right? Yeah. Um, So, yeah. But, yeah. Sorry, carry on. Uh, second one uh objectivity and impartiality so scientists strive to approach their research without bias or personal interest they should maintain objectivity in experimental design data interpretation and evaluation of evidence objectivity ensures that scientific investigations are conducted in a fair and unbiased manner which is very hard to do and i would argue there needs to be more training in impartiality during like school and stuff like how to 
because um, we talked about this before about different thinking loops and uh, like biases the, the, and things. Yeah, is it the odor? The odor loop. Know. Yeah, so it's observe. I can't remember. What it is. It's like oh, I can't remember what it is. Um, observe. Decide. Act. Uda loop. Observe, yeah, orient, have... decide, act. Yes. Observe, yes. orient, decide, act. So, observe is obviously you take in the surroundings. Orient is uh, you need to sort of process the position you're in, make sure any biases or privileges you've got in that situation to make sure that you've you're thinking correctly and you're not throwing in any like partial things in your head so the military aspect is what this came from um back in the day i believe it was a a jet fighter air force colonel john boyd i believe throwing information out of my head um uh, maybe so uh yeah so it, it, it's essentially like if you're in combat and you're going to make a decision you you shouldn't make your decision based off of you know things that have happened to you in the past that could be just statistical anomalies so like if i make if they're coming up behind me and i bank left they're also going to bank left you don't know that so you have to orientate yourself to be like okay i'm going to bank left what are the possible ways they could go instead of just making assertions based on data yeah so that's that's the objectivity and i don't believe that's taught enough in schools to be unbiased with things and i think a lot of people if they were taught critical thinking a lot more an earlier age would be better but you know yes. i'm gonna get in da- down into rabbit hole but of like I, I will as a society and our ruling as well because <laughs> our I think... ruling class doesn't want us to be critically thinking <laughs> so why would they put that in a curriculum uh, true, you know? true 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 yeah. um <laughs> but i also think it's so inherently human to be biased towards your beliefs um that even when you think you're being unbiased you're not um and in my, in my i'll come back onto this uh, whole uh unbiased mm. section in uh in, in a bit because i've got some tasty tasty facts to throw at you tasty facts okay the next section is um reproducibility and rigor so yes. conducting research that is reproducible by other scientists researchers should be able to provide detailed methodologies data and analysis techniques enabling others to replicate and validate their finding this has happened before. There's, the, I think, there's a statistic on a lot of like. I think you've said before what the percentage of actual research is reproducible. It's not as high as you'd want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not as high as you'd want. I don't know off the top of my head, but I, I do remember yeah. being on it. So I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say a number. Um, but yeah, it's not as high as you would have thought. Yeah, which is a shame. Certainly, but, you know aspects on that sort of stuff uh respect for participants and ethical conduct this so i i had to do this as part of my do you know what i was about to say i did phd then didn't didn't know such thing uh i've just got a lowly bachelor's of science i was about to say you get um, that quiet yeah and no, i just snuck just that in just got, let me honorary, by myself honorary ones <laughs> <laughs> can you get an honorary phd i don't think you can get uh, yeah for sure Okay, yeah, that's my that's my only route. 
<laughs> I think, <laughs> I think you still have to be like involved in like research and things, and then people are like, oh, how how do you not have a PhD? And then they'll just give you one. Once you're like thirty years into your research hole, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Um, because we, when I did the research for Mike, the honors part of mine, you have to do a thesis or a dissertation or whatever it is. Um, we had to collect data. And even in just collecting data, you have to submit how you're collecting it to the ethics committee. Yeah. And all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've done so, do that a few times uh, the past yeah. couple of years. It's always fun. Informed consent is the thing. And right to removal from said X thing, which I did have someone do. Yeah. And I want to be removed from this. Um, Especially in Europe. Oh, 100%. And, and, and it also depends on your subjects as well. Are they human? Then, or are they dancer? Or are they dancer? So beep, dancers beep. specifically have a separate ethical uh, list you have to go through. Then humans have a separate ethical list to go through. Um, then it's weirdly split into like charismatic vertebrates or just vertebrates really. So uh, anything on the... Oh, there's a special list. It's not the ICs list. Anyway, all vertebrates need a special uh, form of approval. Invertebrates, you can kind of do whatever you want with. And then, yeah, bacteria, all that other stuff. Some ethical approval, but that's more about containment rather than to the thing itself. And then the same with plants. But yeah, insects don't require that. Or invertebrates, sorry. Don't need much approval yeah. for that. Weird. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next, openness and transparency. Uh, open communication and transparency. Scientists should share their researchings, uh, research findings, methodologies, and data with scientific community and the public. This includes publishing research in reputable, peer-reviewed journals, presenting results at conferences, and making data available for scrutiny and other investigation. Well, it'd be we'll available talk about for scrutiny the big... if you could fucking look at it without having to pay out your asshole. Now we'll talk, we'll move this a bit <laughs> that I've got like uh, insert time here for for Tom to talk about the paywall. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, I found a really good website that I'll share. Um, let me find it. Um, it's called. I put it under things I'm reading. Um, it's called book. Boo, 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 boo. Is it Libgem? Libgen. Has that not been taken down? Or is it back uh, it up? has, but um, there's one called Anna's Archive. Yeah. A-N-N-A-S hyphen A-R-Archive just archive dot G-S and it's yeah. the world's largest open source open data library and it includes books um, sci-fi library Genesis Z library more it's got 9 oh. million books 86 million papers 7 million comics 5,800 magazines, uh, 500,000 magazines, and they are preserved forever. Um, they are, they're, the Mission Archive is it's a non-profit, and its two goals are preservation and access. So it's backing up all knowledge and culture of humanity and making this knowledge and culture available to anybody in the world. They are currently at 5% of the world's books. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Which doesn't seem like they've got far, but that's a lot of that books. That is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they've got, like, uh, access. They show what's up. You can explore books. But you can you can put, like, titles, authors, DOIs, ISBNs, MD5s. Um, 
yeah they've got like if you want to go support them they've got you can donate all that good stuff but i found some really obscure things in there so there's probably papers to the end of the day but we'll, we'll come on to what that why we have got an issue with the paywalls later um next is intellectual property and attribution this is this is the same thing really uh scientists respect intellectual property rights and give appropriate credit and recognition to the work of and days of others proper attribution attribution citation of previous research and collaborations are essential to acknowledge the contributions of others and avoid plagiarism for some weird reason doing a dissertation i think they care more that you've done the referencing correctly than the actual content of your dissertation like you'll get penalized more for like not having like form like because i did i complete my uh dissertation in bournemouth like bournemouth harvard style whatever it is um then being like oh you got a spelling mistake here wrong yeah, yeah. and i think a lot of that comes from the fact of whether they read it or they just pass that through like a machine to read mm-hmm. um, and yeah. it's not done in a certain way, they can't then check it. So they'll just assume that you've cheated. Yeah. Uh, it's not the case, of course. Um, but may, I'm presuming that's why they care about it so much, but they, they do seem to care about that a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of get oh, it. Mendeley. Mendeley, yeah, I'm using that currently as well. Absolutely uh, fantastic. Mendeley's got so many different. So, but Mendeley had bought the Bournemouth style on it, which was just delicious. Oh yeah, but most of them are plugins now that you can just download any style you want, or you can make your yeah. own. Um, Plus, there's got a, a word plugin. Yes, which I found absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, um, Mendeley is good and free, which is why it's it's quite good. Yes. And there's there's other ones as well. Um, I can't remember if OneNote has its own reference system now. Uh, there's um, EndNote. Uh, EndNote, got. that's it. And a lot of people use EndNote. So Zotero, RefWorks, uh, Citavi, Papers, Quipka. Yeah, Jabref. most people I know are using Mendeley or EndNote. Um, and it really just depends on preference at that point. But yeah, How are you if pronouncing you're a student... We're, we're pronouncing it differently, mate. Mendeley, it's, from a, it's based off Mendeleev, isn't it? The guy who discovered the periodic table. I I, I didn't know. Oh, is that's it? what I've always presumed. Yeah, it's named after the the biologist Gregor Mendel. Oh, well, here we go. I've presumed, <laughs> p- p- possibly wrong. Incorrect, sir. Mendeley. So I, because I, I only heard it from a, a professor who called it Mendeley. Yeah, named after Gregor Mendel, Mendel, and chemist. Ah, it's it's both. <laughs> it's named after the biologist Gregor Mendel and chemist Dmitri Mendeleev. Google said uh, the British pronunciation. Okay, so American pronunciation Mendeley, uh, British pronunciation Mendeley. There we go. Uh, I think it's because I've always associated it with Mendeleev. Yeah. You've also you've obviously associated it with Mendel. So, well, either way, <laughs> either we, way. we know what we're talking about. Great tool, absolutely. Yeah, tool. yeah. We'll change your like, research. You can use student the, life. the plugin for Google Chrome, and then you download the program. It syncs. It creates everything. You can put into buckets. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, I never bothered with all of that. 
Oh, but you should. You should. It's I probably good. should, but now I've got good way keeping. too many papers to organize, and that seems like too much of a task. Booty, sir. Booty. Because if you tag it on like this specific, if you if you create a tag for your paper that you're writing, and then at the end you just go add all tags to paper, and then shunt it all across. Across where? To your your way you into Word. Wherever you're writing it. Oh, but you can do that with the Word plugin anyway, right? Because uh, you, you, you add your citations as you go along, and then you just click one button. Yeah, but if it, you're missing any, that's why I mean. It, it's it means like if you it means you don't have to go through it three times in case you've missed any references. Oh, I see. Because you can be like it'll it'll move it'll shunt it across and be like, oh, there's three that aren't here. Yeah. Are you missing any? And then yeah. Okay, oh, that's cool. Moving on. Uh, yes. Peer review and peer critique. Value the importance of peer review and engage in constructive critique within the scientific community. Peer review ensures the quality and validity of research by subjugating it to rigorous evaluation by experts in the field. Scientists are open to feedback, address critiques, make revisions to imp- and to improve the quality of their work. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, that's a good system in theory. In theory, uh, yeah, in theory, but we'll go back to those biases that we're on, talking yeah. about. And super um, scientists are super clicky. They're, they're slightly, and what currently happens, especially if you're submitting to some of the bigger journals, um, so the proceedings of the Royal Society, proceedings B, so it's a fairly big biology um, journal. Currently, what they ask you to do is um, suggest the person who you want to review your paper um and the more people you give them the better chance you have of an editor finding someone to review your paper Um, and that ends up being quite cliquey uh, because obviously you suggest people that you know are interested but at the same time it's got to work like that because those are the people who are most likely to be knowledgeable and shoot it down right and it's done blind, so it means the uh, person reviewing the paper doesn't know who's written it. So right. uh, they, they shouldn't be able to be biased in any, any sort of way. Um, by potentially knowing who's written it, and going, oh, I don't like them, so I'm just going to say it's bad. You know? Mm. Yeah. Um, so it could be better, but, oh, yeah. Odd system to try and fix. Yeah from the ground up and I, I've said that there should be we've, we've talked about the, the issues with like referencing and how there should be a, a big old database of the papers issue that's I know that's a payment an issue for the first issue with this idea um, but they need to be interconnected so there's like yeah, a yeah. historical backlinking, just like like hyperlink, like backlinking the references. So if any of like the Alzheimer's stuff happens, where there's a paper that is seen to be like not good, you could you could essentially do it on like a scale of like one to ten of like how not rigorous but like how accurate the paper is, and then that could knock on further down the line, uh, reduce yeah. the number of like a later paper. So, so if the, like something in the past went like no this was actually incorrect it then like notifies the the publisher or the writer of that paper to be like look this has had an impact on your paper you need to go through your paper and see what the impact is yeah and that'd be great uh, I don't see that working in such a 
uh, multi-sited, and by site, I mean like website system, right? If that was all on one website where everything was interconnected. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. The, every, like there's, um, there's different um, but like local pillars. Papers with journals yeah. will do that within themselves. Um, so there's been a few papers I've been reading recently and they're like, oh, this paper's been updated. And then it clicks you to a more recent version uh, where they've mm. corrected information and things like that. So, so stuff like that is starting to be implemented. Um, if, for example, like the the story I was saying at the beginning where this person had fabricated the data and it actually impacted many, many papers, they've all been pulled. Like they just don't exist oh, okay. anymore. That's good. Like, And that's what happened with, like, obviously the... Uh, the famous Lancet and uh, vaccine that's a, that's paper, a shame. Um, and I think with the Alzheimer's stuff as well, and all papers linked to using that data have all been pulled. Like you shouldn't be able to find them. You'll be able to find the archives for sure, the archived version, but they won't be yeah. like easily uh, available on the the website. Or if you do find them, they should be marked with a disclaimer about the reason yeah, why they've been yeah, pulled yeah, as well. Disclaimer. So they they do try. But it's not like an automated system, right? It's uh, yeah, quite a manual one. Yeah, they need automated system. There needs to yeah. be a... I mean, did he come up with like a, a fancy name for it? Like uh, your E number. Your, like ethicalness number or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I number? I number's good. Integrity number. SI number. Oh, there we go. Ah, oh, pulled it back. Yes, that works <laughs> there we well. Go. Yeah, SI number out of 10. And it can be based on like previous things. But then you okay. can ever have things like how much were you did you put it through like um you can have like numbers that add to it like did you get other another another scientific team were they able to reproduce like your findings if so yeah okay good oh, so then well, like each scientist then has an SI number uh no like paper. an average SI I number think. or the paper oh, you could, you, yeah you could have like an average SI number that'd be good well, you'd be, you'd scientists know, have like, an impact factor they do, yeah. I've seen that. I've um, done research on people. That... Yeah, and that's more Which about like how many how papers much... have been cited. How many yeah. people have cited their papers? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's that not really be interesting. I feel like it would end up being one of these like social credit things, possibly cause more harm than good. I don't to know some people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just means you would have to, you know prove to other people that you're being i think it's quite a slow thing right it would slow things down but it would elevate scientific integrity and especially now as there's you know a lot of dubiousness going on Mm. and (laughs) my my final point on this is conflict of interest and funding transparency and i think that is because we talked about that like who's funding this research and if you're being funded by research by a political or biased party are they going to push for certain results yeah and and you find that happens sometimes um so i know someone not at my institution but another one who is doing a a phd on the medical applications to a certain animal type um pet species and basically they're being funded by the people who produce this medicine so obviously what the result's going to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, the people mm-hmm. creating a medicine are paying you to test the medicine. Mm. What are your options there? 
Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, at least that's how that person feels. So, yes, that that, that is a thing to, to, to watch out for. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, yeah. there's a lot there on that code of conduct. There, there things is. to watch out for. There is. Yeah. Uh, but it should be a lot of it scientists do anyway. But I think when you... It's also like a tick list if you're looking at a paper or something's caught your eye to check against. Like, yeah, there's often a checklist. Um, and like when you... So every year, every academic year, I have to redo a, an exam or like one of those online... They call it an exam. It's not an exam. It's like a, a test. You you read a slide for a minute and then you answer a couple of multiple choice questions, right? And it basically just goes through this um, so yeah. that everyone is trained on a good academic practice every year. Um, and then you sign a contract saying you'll ad- adhere to it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's their current way of trying to get people to be academically uh, rigorous. Um, so I think that works with a lot of institutions. If you're at university, you probably do a similar thing. Um, although with the current university pricing changes in the UK, maybe a lot less of you will be going. Mm-hmm. Sag, big Sag. Um, one of the things I find really interesting and it's not to call out the whole animal behavior side of science, but it also kind of is, um, so I'm doing a bit of this on on my PhD. So it's probably why I find it interesting, but it comes back to this whole being objective thing. I think your second point in that list. Yeah. And even when we try really hard, I think it's just part of the human condition that we are biased. And this is so much the case that a paper by Louis et al. in 2011 called The Mismeasure of Science found that many papers studying human bias in research are themselves biased just because of the methodologies that they've uh, implemented. Um, so I'm just going to speak about one type here, and that's called observer bias. And now, in many behavior-based experiments, whether this is to do with animals or humans, um, so this happens a lot in psychology, uh, medicine, and then animal behavior as well. So data is gathered by an observer, a researcher, who follows an animal or a subject or a group of subjects and records their behavior either at intervals or continuously. Um, And then this is where something called observer bias is quite heavily introduced. So observer bias uh, occurs when our unconscious beliefs heavily impact how we score behavior or how we code the behavior we think that we're seeing. Now, of course, that doesn't always apply. Like, I'm not always going around misinterpreting people's behavior because of what I think. But when it comes to subtleties in behavior, when we're really trying to look at this on, like, uh, a quantitative level, and, you know, sometimes behavior is not that quantitative, um, cues and subtleness just really throws bias into the mix. So how one might combat this generally is by running what we call blind trials and what Mm -hmm. that means is 
The observer, the person scoring the behavior, scoring the animal, following the humans and writing down what they're doing, doesn't know the condition that the subjects are under. So if I was running an experiment where I had given a bunch of rats cocaine and then not given a bunch of rats cocaine, I'd get two observers and I'd tell them just monitor the behavior of these rats, but I wouldn't tell them anything about cocaine or anything. And then I'd compare the two like behavior metrics, but then these people's belief about what the rats should be doing on or off cocaine haven't influenced what they think they should see. And there's a couple of great examples of this. Um, one specifically on nest mate aggression in various ant species. So normally this is done, this was done, um, by a study in 2013 by Van Wilgenberg and Elgar. So go check out the paper. It's a super interesting one. I'll lick it on. I'll lick it. I'll link it on top of our socials. Um, <laughs> now, normally to test this kind of thing, uh, they do something called an aggression assay. And what that does is anytime two ants interact, uh, it mm -hmm. scores the behavior between them. So are they hitting each other with their mandibles? Are they just like a quick tap and walking on? Are they showing no interaction together at all? Um, and it measures the difference of the observed behaviors between ants that belong in the same nest or belong to a different nest. Now, as you might expect evolutionarily, it makes sense that ants in the same nest won't attack each other compared to ants from different nests, right? That just kind of makes sense. And that's the null hypothesis when you're doing these aggression assays. But the problem is a lot of these assays are not conducted blind, which means the observer knows which ants are from the same nest and which ants are not. Now you might think, oh, it's just ant behavior. Will the results really be impacted that much by just the observer knowing which ants are from which nest? Well, it turns out that in the trials, the studies that were not blinded, so where the observer knew where the ants' nests were, the origin of the ants, they reported an average aggression rate of 21% between ants from the same nest. Then in studies where they were blinded, guess what the average aggression rate was between nestmates? 79%. Okay. That's a 58% additive, like upswing, right? We've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other completely. Mm -hmm. And that has been repeated and constantly be found to be true. Like where you blind, where you give people a pre, a piece of information before the trial and they score the behavior compared to people who don't know what the behavior or how the behavior should be affected and they just score it generally how they see it there is always these differences uh, there was another study done a couple few years ago by Tutens et al 2014 they took a bunch of veterinary students who were trained in looking at negative positive behavior in pigs panting in cattle and the behavior of hens they showed them videos and then like a lot of videos and then they repeated some of those videos manipulating them so they students couldn't tell they were duplicates and then before each video they gave them a piece of information one that was true and one that was false and what they found was that the students who knew they were meant to be scoring behavior as openly as possible 
Um, they scored positive interactions in pigs higher when they were told that the pigs were selected for breeding value, or social breeding value, sorry. They scored cattle panting higher when they were told the temperature was five degrees higher than it actually was. And they said that um, hens showed more positive emotions in a behavior assessment when they were told the hens were on a, in an organic farm compared to in a conventional farm. And these are the same students scoring the same videos they've already scored. But that piece of information that has primed them completely changes how their brain perceives behavior. So it's a massive, massive issue. Mm -hmm. And um, you'd think, ah, oh, since we know this, all the studies will be blind, right? Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Gordon Burghardt, what a hero. What uh, a hero, absolute champion. Absolute champion. He conducted a study in 2012. He looked at 960 papers between 1970 and 2010 in the five biggest uh, journals that report um, like animal behavior, cognition studies. Guess how many of those reported using blinded trials? All. None? There's not quite none. 6.3%. Might as well have been none, am I right? Might as well have been none. And it's <laughs> so strange because if we just look at human medicine and human psychology... It's like 90, well, maybe it's not 90%, but it's a large proportion. Like it's just a lot, been a long-standing normal practice to blind studies, but we just lose yeah. that in animal behavior. It's wild. Um, yeah. Now, does that completely mean everything doesn't count? No, but it just yeah. mean there are some oh, caveats. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, caveats. Caveats, like maybe a lot of this stuff needs to be repeated, you know? Um, or the other thing you can do is do inter-observer reliability tests. So let's say I observe some ants, even if I know the condition, and then Mitch observes some ants and he doesn't know the condition. And then we have another person observe some ants and maybe they do, maybe they don't. Then we compare our results of the same footage, the same behaviors, and see, are we scoring these behaviors in the same manner? If we are, then we can kind of think, oh, okay, well, three independent people are looking at this in the same way no matter their knowledge about the situation prior to it uh you can kind of trust those results in that in that aspect but those other tests you need to put in your paper and be like oh look we did this so you can trust what we're saying um and it's just not done nearly enough um so yeah that's my rant mm. <laughs> but it just kind of shows that. the yeah, the introduction of bias when we think we're yeah. not being biased, right? The thing that uh, I, I think I talked about last week, the week before, is um, heterosexist bias in psychological research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a good conversation about that. Which the paper was written, actually, back 1991 oh, by four in individuals from the American Psychological Association, but it's now coming back around. It little dated... Um, you can tell they were more society was more homophobic at the time um, because yeah some of the questions that they so they, they've got like a what, what you can do to try and avoid it and the questions you need to ask when you're collecting it uh, one of them is like does the research question ignore or deny the existence of lesbians gay men and bisexual people uh, I don't think people would do it to that degree anymore or I hope not but there are some that like 
that I think they would, which does the research question implicitly assume that observed characteristics are caused by the subject's sexual orientation? I, I think there's probably that's cropped up a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's wild. Really Some of these things, like you, you go back, I was reading a primatology paper from the 80s, um, and it was in a, it was so old that there wasn't any online copies. I literally, I had to go to the library and get the book. Um, Recent advances in primatology, it was called, 1982, I'll say. Anyway, couple of papers in there, absolutely wild. Like, yeah. oh my lord, you would not see those published in a million years these days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just crazy that the, that was ever in a scientific book. Yeah. Blew my mind. One of the, I think the, the, the crucial thing that they're trying to push now is... Does experimental manipulation presume the participants are heterosexual? Mm. I think mean, that's that's one of the ones that I think people still do. Like, um, there, I can't remember what the name of the book is, but it comes up. Um, it was like uh, stats and women. I can't remember what the book is. I'll have to go find it and I'll bring it on next week. But it's to, it has a whole bunch of like. Uh, like back in the 70s or 60s in like series tvs shows programs children programs the background percentage is something like white men 70 percent of the background people are just like white men ah and if you go back and look it's so utterly ridiculous uh it's really interesting work lots of the things that i was like blew my mind uh one of the big things in it which i thought was so incredibly interesting is gender neutral bathrooms are actually bad and dangerous based on for the safety of women from men like you, you need to have specific areas and it's all to do with like obviously you have urinals so how much square footage is needed for women compared to men it's very it's one of those it was it was more of a science book <laughs> like you had to read a chapter then put it down because that whole chapter was essentially a scientific paper that she had written yeah that was incredible but yeah very that very sounds good. really cool uh yeah if, if you remember the the yeah. title we can go to anna's archive <laughs> yeah that's true that's true I'll push that. Uh, okay, we're running out of time. Well, the thing I was going to talk about was integrity. And I talked at the top, I brought it up is a paper was written about scientific integrity named, uh, called How Many Scientists Fabricate and Falsify Research, a Systemic Review and Meta Analysis of Survey Data. Uh, it was written by Danielle uh, Fellini, Fanelli, Fanelli. Um, and it's the frequency for which scientists fabricate and falsify data or commit other forms of scientific misconduct is a matter of controversy. Many surveys have asked scientists directly whether they've committed or known a colleague who's committed research misconduct, but their results appear difficult to compare and synthesize. Uh, so this is the this is the first meta-analysis for these surveys, so they're surveying everything. Uh, no, they're like the surveying, pools. they're pooling the data yeah, of all the surveys. Yeah, all the data, yeah. Yeah, all the surveys. Uh, the amount of surveys they pooled was 3,276. So that's a, a pooled weight average of uh, 2%. So N equals 7, blah, blah, blah. Of scientists, uh, 2% of scientists admitted they have fabricated or falsified or modified data. Uh, all results are released once, which is a 
serious form of yeah. misconduct by any standard, up to 33% admitted other questionable research practices. In surveys asking about the behavior of colleagues, admission rates were using the word, uh, the admission rates were 14% of falsification and up to 72% of other questionable research practices. So I've seen someone else do it. Yeah. Uh, Meta regression showed that self-report surveys, surveys using the words falsification and fabrication, uh, mailed surveys yielded lower percentage of misconduct. So when these factors were controlled, misconduct was reported more frequently by medical pharmacological researchers than others, which is even more like, oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So considering these surveys ask sensitive questions, and have other limitation, it appears likely that this is a conservative estimate of the true prevalence of scientific misconduct because they're obviously not going to lie. They're going to lie more, but they're less likely to not lie more. So that's they're, like, they're more likely the to tell number. on someone else than themselves, right, as well? Yeah. So that number is going to be low. On the, that's like the lowest it's going to be. And I think there's more people, what you mean there is, who are likely to say... There are some people who are going to say no, even if they've seen something, right? Which yeah, is why so it that's makes the it lowest, conservative that's the lowest effort. Yeah. Um, but the problem with this is that scientific integrity or misconduct is such a broad term that it ranges from literally falsifying all of your data to pissing around with a pipette in a lab and squirting yeah, water at someone. The, okay, you know the argument I mean? is, though, that none of it should happen full stop. Like oh, it doesn't no, matter no, no. of like the analysis of the word. It's still crappy. Go away. But what I'm wondering is how much of this misconduct, i.e. pissing around in the lab with a pipette, people are counting as misconduct, but obviously isn't actually changing the results. Do you know what I mean? Of said papers yeah. or said oh, people okay. so who you're are pissing saying, around. Like, the paper's integrity isn't Diminished. isn't altered by someone being a yeah. tit do you know what I mean <laughs> splashing around the human. iodine yeah like, exactly squid, squid, squid. <laughs> someone down in a shop of ethanol in a lab and having been rushed to hospital you know oh my um, yeah eight memories yeah eight memories do you know what, what the, how many time. scientists fabricate and falsify research it's on Anna's archive let's go there we go um, you become a um, member you get a, a fast download instead of a slow one oh, so I did wonder what that was yeah 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 how do you, is, it, is that a paid thing? No, you literally just have to create an account. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> That's it. Um, I definitely do not have an account. No. If you get, if, this is some cyber cyber security uh, bulletin from Mitchell Gadding. If you're going to create an account, don't use any other email address that you use that could be traced back to you in case this becomes illegal in the future and you get penalized. Create a new email address and then use that. Tech tips. we've got a minute left i said we were going to talk about the paywall do you want to be that as the sign-off call is talking about the Um, yeah the paywall just a bit bullshit really so if you don't know how the paywall works um as a scientist you'll produce a paper and you'll be like oh i really want to put my paper in this journal let's assume that they say yeah that'd be great and what I'm doing there is skipping over three to eight months worth of 
peer reviewage. Um, if not more, maybe less if you're lucky. Yeah. Then the journal goes, okay, you pay us to put your work in our journal. And then someone sees your paper in their journal and goes, oh, that'd be cool. I really want to read that. And then the journal goes, okay, you pay us <laughs> to yeah. read that person's work in our book. And then the person who wrote it goes, oh, that's cool. I don't get any of that money though. Yep. Um, which is fair. Compound, com- yeah, compounding in, in a way though, is uh, one of the, one of the biggest arguments I've seen for the paywall is most scientific studies are paid for via tax of the countries that the scientists are in, and therefore shouldn't be behind a paywall because it's paid for by yeah. the people for the people. Yeah, and the the whole thing about um, you know science that it should be a, available to everyone, right? That's how a community and an ecosystem of people which i'm forgetting the word for society there we go uh progresses <laughs> right culture the sharing of information freely and nowadays uh what you'll find more and more within uh the research academic good research practice good academic practice is where possible to publish um in like an open source Open source. Whoop, whoop. Is it open source? I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Um, basically, the the ones the journals where it's free. Yes. Um, and actually, at my institution, you are obligated to do so. If you're producing a paper using any resources to do with the institution that I'm at, you have to, um, publish it in the. Open, I just don't think open source is the right word. I know like open source is a thing. Um, science journals, open access, open access, open access, uh, where you don't have to pay to to view things. I mean, most institutions will, you know, have a subscription and a special deal with certain journals or journal Ooh. parent companies. So you don't have to pay for them. You just get access to it. Normally yeah. your local libraries will have the same um to just allow that access but yeah so uh there's a massive push at the minute through good academic practice and just many institutions refusing to not publish in open access uh, it's for that exact reason really and of course there are still places like nature where people will you know try and stick something in there if they can uh because you'll get a lot of publicity for it um and then after that they're like oh, okay i've done that now i'll publish i'll publish in open access um so yeah it's basically the middleman eats your pie and eats the pie of the consumer <laughs> yeah basically um yep. so is it really weird archaic system eat the um, rich eat the ri- <laughs> yeah but open access is becoming much more and more of a thing yeah. Um, and there are more open access journals and more journals going open access as well. So it's becoming a lot more reputable. Back in the day, open access was kind of thought of like, oh, yeah, I really don't want to pay these publishing fees. But at the same time, I don't want my paper in that journal because people would be like, ah, oh, that's just got no reputation whatsoever. Whereas now that's just not, not the case as much at all. Yeah. Um, I think like Royal Proceedings is open access now. Um high impact open access journals 
Let's see. Whilst you're googling that, I'm going to quickly rally through some unethical experiments. This is going to be like a blitzkrieg. Yeah, go for it, and then we'll round out. So we've got the Tusky Syllophus. Syllophus. Syphilis. Uh, study uh, that was held from 1932 to 1972 40 year study uh, by the conducted by the US Public Health Service aiming to observe the natural progression of syphilis in African American men there's a movie about this if you want to see it and how absolutely horrific it was uh, the participants who are mostly poor and illiterate were deceived and not informed about the study's true purpose. Even after effective treatment for syllabus became available, the participants were denied access, resulting in a worsening of their health, transmission of the disease, disease to their partners and children. Well done, America. Yep. You did good. You did Next, it again. Uh, is is just Nazi medical experiments. Under the regime, there was numerous unethical experiments that were carried out at concentration camps. Yeah. Uh, these included high altitude experiments, freezing experiments, sterilization experiments, and the notorious experiments conducted by Yosef uh, Mangel and twins and individuals with genetic abnormalities. Um, yeah, also you've see got a um, movie X Men. That's how yeah. uh, Magneto's powers are, you know, made stronger. Uh, yeah. Uh, a lot of just really rough stuff went on there, including yes. uh, Asperger's. So this, uh, one of the reasons why you kind of shouldn't be using that phrase anymore is because Asperger was a Nazi scientist. Oh, yeah, um, they realised that. Who That's was, yeah. what do you call it, uh, experimenting on children on the autistic spectrum. And oh. he would basically take i'm gonna say this you can't see my quote marks but i'm doing them uh high functioning right uh kids and keep them alive and then just kill the others um so the in quote marks again high functioning ones that became known as asperger's uh after him so that's why uh you probably or should not be using that anymore Um, (laughs) yeah exactly I, uh, next the Stanford prison experiment fucking Zimbardo looking at you Philippe I spoke um, to him <laughs> yeah uh, how yeah. was he is he good um oh, it was an interview and I ended up interviewing his right hand man John Boyd instead yeah. on the, the podcast that shall not be named um yeah we had a few email I think I even was on a call with him at some point yeah, yeah. Weird. Did he um, seem uh, sad that he it, this happened? No, remorseful. No, he didn't. Did he seem no. Oh wow. Okay. No. You Honestly, heard it here first. I'm not going to lie. I kind of avoided the subject. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair, uh, fair, fair. Yeah, fair. I didn't really want to bring that up. Uh, so obviously, you said I sorry have to it. the families involved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> difficult um, one to play. Yeah, lots of con- conflicting reports coming out of that from him, from the people who were involved, from people involved around it. Was he antagonizing um, them? Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, famously, the Stanford prison experiment, I think it was 10, 20 people were taken into Stanford mm-hmm. University. Maybe it was a different number, but half of them were made guards, half of them were made prisoners, and basically left to their own devices. And I think the experiment lasted five days. Um because like the beatings got so bad, uh, yeah. power trip central 
past right, your time. Wasn't it like because yeah. there's, there's been many movies and series on it? Wasn't one? It's like they to get the money, they had to last the time. Oh, right. Yeah, maybe. I, I believe it's the guy from the pianist, Adrian Brody. He was in that movie, uh, and he oh, played one he? of the prisoners. I believe. Um, yeah, so that was one. I'm gonna check that movies. is that guy's name because if that. I was Pulled that, that out of the air. I don't, I don't know what. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Good. Wow. That's just that's ADHD for you. He's a great actor. <laughs> he is fantastic. Yeah. He, that like I'm not sure if the pianist won any movies. Uh, won any movies? Won any awards? Uh, Should have. Yeah. I mean, I think it was one of those films that was really too much, but it needed to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role, Academy Award best for Director, Best Writing, yeah. Yeah, Best yeah. Directing, The Palme d'Or, Best um, Film, Best Director. After, yeah, it won a lot. Yeah, it won, it a, won lot. a lot. Good, yeah. good for good for that. Good, good for that. Yeah, for no, movie. that was fantastic. Um, yeah, it shouldn't have really been shown to te- teenagers at school. Oh, I was thinking, I've seen that in really school. That. That's the only time I've seen it. Oh, you know, I re-watched... still remember uh, it to this day. I remember someone being kicked out. Uh, oh, of the cool. class for laughing at the scene of the nan being pushed out of the window on the wheelchair. Oh, see, I remember that scene. <laughs> I don't know if I remember the person being kicked out. Maybe I, mean, I, I do, I'm actually. Sure we, different class. we weren't in the same class, Tom. Oh, we we no, 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 not for a lot of things we weren't. Until French. Then we were in the same class. Um, English? We weren't in the same class for English. Hey, I was we like, were at some point. Sets. No, maybe not. <laughs> No, maths we weren't, science we weren't, English we weren't. No matter, it's interesting. Um, and then the yeah. last one, we got, we got, well, not the last one. Oh, it will be the last one. I'll, I'll finish with this: the Milgram experiment. Milgram, ah, oh, that rings a bell. Conducted by the psychologist of Stanley Milgram, the study examined individuals' willingness to obey authority, in even when inflicting harm. This is the the buzzer, electric shock, administering electric shock to a learner. And despite hearing yeah. the learners' pleas and apparent suffering, many participants continue to administer the shock as instructed. Um, it was to see, like, how much you would follow authority, even if the you were causing pain to other people. Yeah, and it really depends on like how much you respect that the person. And I remember who's uh, Darren Brown redid this recently. Yes. I say yeah, recently, yeah, I mean about 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> on TV. On like, TV? Yeah. Back when More there was only four channels. Was done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back in white it was. Um, but the Milgram experiments were also really important in informing the Nuremberg trials. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's a lot of the, the people... Sorry, let me just steal, steal your thunder on that. No, no, um, no, no. Well, that's what I was, I was going to link it to. It's used as a defense. Yes. Uh, and then people were questioning whether that defence was sufficient or not. Uh, like, how much autonomy did those people have in that situation? Yeah, um, there's also like fear of being killed. Well, I think there is. Yeah, yeah. So that's what makes it so such a dubious uh, a thing, right? And yeah, such a such a hard thing to even quantify one one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, uh, yeah, on, this. on that bombshell, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't think we've left a show on the Nuremberg trials before, but no, that's what, that's no, what we'll no, do. No, it's a new, it's a new uh, I think that will bring us to a wrap then. <laughs> don't forget to share this with your friends, families, co-workers, anyone else who will listen. Just leave it on for your plants if you if if you want. Um if you want more fun information, science, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, and of course, whichever directory you're listening to this on right now, if you want to give us a like, rating, follow, comment, subscription, or whatever you can do, we would be grateful. Um, anything you want to shout out there, mate? Oh, that's it for me. Alrighty. Well, we hope you've enjoyed. You've had an extra 12 minutes of our voices in your ear holes. So, have a good week, and we'll see you the next time. Peace. Now for now.